Welcome to the California Work Comp Report. Today is Friday, February 9th, 2018. Speaking is your host, Corey Olson, here with Arun Kroll and today's guest, Dr. John Alchemy. How are you today, John? Doing great. Arun? I am great too. Thanks. The topic of today is the question, how do you calculate an impairment rating for skin? And John, I guess I'll just start out by asking, what makes skin different than the other body parts when it comes to impairment rating? Well, skin skin is a little different than the other uh, body systems in the AMA guides. And one of the interesting things about skin and medicine in general is it is the largest organ on the body, and it's a very um, very easy to examine um, organ system because it's right in front of us all the time. The the rating values of the skin are also very vast. They go from zero all the way up to ninety five percent. And just as a reference, someone who's 100% impaired is dependent on someone else for all of their functions, meaning you're on your back, someone has to feed you, they have to bathe you, they have to dress you, et cetera, et cetera. So it has a very, very wide scope of whole person impairment that we don't necessarily see in some of the other chapters um, that, that we usually occupy ourselves with, such as upper, lower extremity, spine, and so forth. So the skin is a little unique in that. The other thing that makes skin an interesting um, system to do impairment rating on is that not a lot of people are aware of it or think of it when they do impairment ratings. Um, they're always thinking about loss of joints, strength, you know, damage to nerves, and in general, workers' compensation, and this is um, irregardless of whatever state you're in, they tend to be very orthopedic-focused. Um, so the skin just does not get a lot of attention. And subsequently, um, there are a lot of um, avoidance to want to rate skin because it's something that in general practitioners are not well familiarized with. Um, and then uh, there also uh, tends to be these, um, these mysticisms of the skin. And I, I do a lot of ratings and I review a lot of these rating services um, that people hire, insurance companies, attorneys, uh, what have you. And they um, consistently do not have a good handle on the impairment rating of the skin. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, just again, to, to answer the question, um, skin, it's, it's very directly observable. Um, it's associated in a lot of claims. Um, anything that gets a scar in it, some damage, um, et cetera, as we'll go into as we, as we talk later. Um, and it has a very, very wide range of whole person impairment. Again, that's zero to 95%. So, Dr. Alchemy, um, what can you give as an example of a 90% impairment rating that would come from a skin injury? As you pointed out, 100% is very dramatic, uh, horrible condition to be in. What, what sort of skin conditions are there that are sort of at the utmost extreme of what can happen with a skin injury? When you look at the skin table for rating, um, and again, we're in California, so we're going to use the AMA Guides 5th edition as right. an for the talk. There, there are actually components that unite all of the classes. And then it's really just kind of the severity um, of each of those subcomponents that, that tend to drive the class. So there's a class 1, class 5. Class 1 is the um, lowest impairment classified the highest. The subcomponents are as follows. You have signs of a skin disorder. And this is 
surprisingly, this is what derails a lot of people. They don't understand the difference between a sign and a symptom. But the first, the first consideration in any class is the sign and the symptom. So a sign is anything that we can see, a rash, a scar, um, a bump, anything like that. That's a sign. The symptoms are whatever the patient experiences, itching, pain, dryness, numbness. So those are all symptoms. Okay. So, so the first thing that drives this is, is there any sign? Is there any symptom of the skin condition? And going from the class one, it's pretty low, you know, intermittent, um, all the way up to class five, which is constant. Okay. So, so that's the first step in the process. The other step in the process is the activities of daily living. So you get a component in each class and a rating contribution for the ADLs, right? So um, maybe you're not able to shower because your skin can't tolerate, you know, the cold or the heat. Um, you know, maybe you can't sleep because you're itching all the time. Um, maybe you can't uh, lift stuff because, you know, your hands are irritated. You can't grasp, you know, because you have dry cracked skin, those kind of things. So, so, you know, those are, um, again, components across the whole thing. Now, the higher classes, four and five, they are specifically called out for people who are confined to their home because of their skin condition. Now, it's interesting because it doesn't say what confines you. Are you self-conscious and you don't want to go because there's a scar on your face? Or you constantly have to moisturize, you can't go out in the sun? You know, it, it doesn't really say. So, so each, one, each case is, is independently considered. But that's the big thing that really kicks up the rating in four and five is the fact that you have to be home when you don't want to. It's limiting you. And then finally, there's the treatment. So um, you're going to require treatment at the higher ends, at intermittent to constant, and at the lower ends of these classes, no treatment um, or maybe just some intermittent treatment. Thinking about some of these uh impairments that that could sort of arise kind of getting into specifics here i'm thinking that you could get something like a chemical burn for example um which could cause a degree of impairment or you could get say a laceration somewhere where i guess there's kind of constant uh extension and flexion possibly and i'm trying to trying to think of other kind of injuries that would lead to sort of the need for a, an impairment rating on the skin. Yeah, so, so I think a most common one, and, and remember, the AMA guides, um, they're used a lot in work comp, but they don't have to be. They're just there to help us gauge impairment on any condition from any cause. Um, the fact that we use it in work comp is sort of a superficial construct that, that workers' comp has done to adopt the AMA guides to help um, classify and value injury. But... Um, uh, let's say that someone has psoriasis. That's a pretty common skin condition. And the psoriasis can be near full body for some people. So it can be um, on all limbs, your back, uh, your hair, um, you know, and, and your nails can be affected. And that might be um, one example of, of a dermatologic condition that might put you in class five. Your skin is very dry. It's very open. It's getting infected all the time. Um, you know, and, and that would be um, a, a good example of a class five, certainly a whole body burn um, or, or a large uh, percentage of the body burn. Those would be something that, you know, could uh, could place you in a four and five as well. Got it. So, you know, with 
other types of body parts, you're often measuring the range of motion of an injured joint. With skin, I'd imagine you're not measuring range of motion, or at least the AMA guides aren't telling you to. What does the exam look like if you're a medical provider and you want to uh, you know, assess the impairment of the injured worker? What sort of exam do you need to perform in order to get the information you need to determine the impairment? Well, for, for the providers who don't do it a lot, it's, it's the same type of recipe as you would use for an orthopedic exam. You would inspect it. So you're looking for the distribution, um, the size, the consistency. Um, is it open? Is it ulcerated? Is it pigmented? Is it flaky or scaly? You know, all of these different things um, that you look at when you inspect it. And then you can palpate it. Um, just like you would palpate a shoulder joint for tenderness over a, over specific bones, you palpate um, the skin lesion. Is it sore? Is it tender? Uh, is it numb? Does it burn them? Do they have any you know reaction uh, to to the sensation? Um, ranges of motion are kind of interesting, and and when you get a skin condition that's overlying a joint, um, that joint may also need to be evaluated in the orthopedic chapter particularly if there is some restriction of, uh, of motion, um, uh, you know, as a result of maybe a scar contracture or something like that. Um, the, most, the most common things that we're called upon when we do the impairment rating are scars. And, you know, things we want to know about the scar is obviously the length, the width. Is it flat? Is it hypotrophic, meaning it's, it's kind of sunken in? Or is it hypertrophic, meaning it's like raised up and red and beefy and tender? Um, and is the skin around it pliable or soft or is it stiff? Um, you know, those are all qualities of the scar that are um, helpful in conveying it to the audience about what the scar is um, that we're looking at. Now, I want to point out here that the size of the scar really doesn't affect the rating of the class unless the person's making a claim like this scar is so large, it's cosmetically disfiguring and I don't want to leave my house. But for the most part, um, this scar could simply be um, a half centimeter from a trocar um, used to go into a joint arthroscopy, um, or it could be 18 inches um, across your forehead from a car accident. So, so what the, the, the trap that, that people fall into is they think that somehow this has to be an amazingly overwhelming type of lesion or size of scar for it to be rated in the skin chapter. But if you look through the chapter, you look at the rules, that is absolutely not the case. You know, I was interested when you mentioned that you might measure the range of motion for a skin injury if it impacts the range of motion, which makes sense. Um, I'm wondering if somebody had some sort of condition on their elbow or their shoulder that prevented them from moving their arm without pain, would you, would you basically perform an uh, examination according to the elbow section of the AMA guides in addition to performing the skin exam? Well, I have an interesting case, actually, um, a real case where a guy was working in an oven. He was a repairman. And for some reason, uh, the oven was plugged in and it wasn't, it wasn't hot, but, um, as he was working on it, it like shorted out and uh -oh. him across the low back while he's inside the oven, if you can think about that. Gotcha. So, so he got, um, an electrocution type of injury and a burn, um, as a result 
and the electricity went through and into his body. And he, he had a scar on his back and he had chronic soft tissue pain, um, which also limited his low back. So, so this guy actually has um, two considerations with two systems. He's got the skin and then he has the low back underneath the skin. And so, you know, the examiner needs to determine, first of all, where is the pain coming from? Is it coming from the soft tissue in the skin or is it coming from the structures around the back? And then number two, you're going to have to determine, you know, I'm going to have to come up with a rating for the skin and um, I may have to come up with a rating for the low back too and then figure out, um, you know, what the contributions are from each one. Hmm. Is it ever difficult to get, you know, insurance carriers to authorize uh, two body parts in that way? Is there ever pushback where they say, this is merely a skin injury or this is merely a low back injury, it's not both of them? A lot of it has to do with the way that the table is set at the doctor's first report. So if they come in through the emergency room and the ER only talks about the skin surface and the burn, for instance, like let's say maybe this guy came in through the ER and then he comes in for his occupational, you know, medicine visit, and someone who's a little bit more used to, you know, looking at injuries in, in totality. And, and in a situation like that, there could potentially be some problems getting the spine involved as a body part. Um, for the claim because, again, they just talked about the skin when the injury started. So once, once the claim's underway and treatment has already sort of started and it's been assigned a diagnosis, um, it's sometimes difficult to add in another body part, even though it probably would have been appropriate to have it in there from the beginning. Sounds like for our providers who might be listening, the takeaway is to just be sure to include every injured body part in that initial report, more body parts you include in that doctor's first report, the, uh, you know, the easier it is to make sure they can get treatment later on in the same claim. Yeah. And, and if the treatments, um, if the body parts aren't called out clearly, it's just going to delay everything and make it a lot more frustrating for all the stakeholders. Mm. Well, you know, we've been talking about the skin in California and the AMA guides fifth edition. I'm curious, um, what, if any significant difference there is in other versions of the AMA guide, is, is there a sort of a dramatic difference in how skin is rated between the fifth and the sixth edition, for example? Well, you know, I think the sixth edition has come out and it's a little clearer that they want impairment assigned only when there's activities of daily living um, involved with the outcome of the skin. And mm-hmm. that is departure from the fifth because the fifth, um, you know, clearly uh, has classes, class one, for instance, where impairment um, is assigned up to 9%, but you don't have to have any impairment in your activities of daily living to qualify for that class. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of stepped up from there to the other classes, the, the, the impact on the ADL. And the more ADLs that are impacted, the higher class um, you qualify and the higher rating, et cetera. Um, but, but other than that, um, that is primarily the, the biggest difference that I've noticed on examining, you know, the, the two editions of the fifth and the sixth. So, and I think that um, scars, uh, they're kind of um, viewing as having a little um, less uh, significance from an impairment rating standpoint. And they kind of, you know, say, well, of course, a scar is, is a skin sign that's present constantly. So, 
there are some nuances, um, particularly around scars and and the um, the ADLs. I think are clarified a little bit more in the way they contribute to the rating. Well, is there is there any other general advice that we can give to providers who are you know talking to a patient for the first time or they're in the exam room with the patient, writing the permanent and stationary PR four report? Any sort of hands on practical advice we can give to providers when it comes to skin? Well, the most, the most common um, and practical advice I think we can give is that it needs to be very clearly communicated to the patient um, what elements of their history and their physical exam findings are going to contribute to the rating. You know, patients, uh, they're, they're not very, very well versed in the way that the work comp system, you know, performs and, and they don't always understand the ingredients that go into the impairment rating. And for example, um, I had a patient today I was talking about who had a rating and she said, you know, I, I know you gave me this, this value, let's say it was 10%, but I think I should have more than that. And I said, well, tell me a little bit more about that. What, what is it that you think is incorrect in what I wrote? She, read she said, no, everything in here is correct, but I think I need more um, impairment because I'm just not able to go back to my job, you know? And, and so when you're doing these impairment reports, it's important to tell them that, look, this is based on loss of function and measurable loss. And we understand that, you know, you may not be able to go back to your usual job and, you know, there are some things that you can and can't do, but the AMA guides, and if everyone can remember this, it's based on activities of daily living, not work, but because we always use it in work comp, it's very, very easy for people to get confused and think, well, I need a higher rating because this is about my job and my livelihood. So those are the kinds of things that when a provider is talking to a patient, it needs to be very clear because otherwise they're going to get the report back. They're going to feel it's incorrect. There's going to be a lot of confusion and, you know, and no one's happy when that happens and it, it can go, it can go poorly very quickly. It seems like it could be a very confusing dichotomy that your injury is being rated for your activities of daily living, which is the injury that you're getting from work that may or may not prevent you from doing your job. Well said, totally agree. You know, I've got one more question related to the activities of daily living. As you mentioned, uh, sometimes they can be a little subjective. For example, if somebody has a terrible skin injury and they don't feel confident or comfortable going outside or driving or being in public, um, that they feel very impaired as the patient. But is the insurance company always going to see it that way? Or are they going to say, you know, this injury isn't actually preventing you from going outside or doing all these things? It's just uh, psychological. How does that get negotiated? That's a great question. Um, and often it, it ends up in the lap of the psychiatrist or the psychologist to make a determination. It's one of those things that's sort of um, on a gradation of acceptance. So, for instance, if, you know, again, if you have an 18 centimeter scar across, you know, your forehead down to your jaw, um, 
you know, you're probably not going to get too much resistance um, because it's just kind of so common sense that something that distorting to your face um, is going to cause some distress and everyone can kind of understand that regardless of their level of (laughs) their level of understanding the complexities of psychology and things like that. Um, Now take that with um, maybe um, a, a woman who has, and this is, you know, I'm just using this as an example, but this case I've seen where a woman has arthroscopy on her shoulder and she has a small half centimeter scar um, on the on the front of her shoulder and the scar healed appropriately for the surgery. But yet she feels um, conscientious that she doesn't want to wear off the shoulder clothes out in public. Um, I've seen that. I've also seen it um, on knees. Women, they they don't want to wear skirts anymore because it shows a scar on their knee and they're very self-conscious. And when you get into something like that, that appears to be a little bit more subjective, um, then you do have to go the psychology route and see what types of objective things there are. And if you can compare it to pre-injury, maybe they're not sleeping as well. Maybe, um, you know, their social relationships are suffering, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it can get, it can get very difficult to ferret out that, that difference um, as you know, the the impact and the the visual appearance of the skin seemingly is is a very small or minor to some people, and that's really where you get into the conflicts about these activities of daily living and and being confined or so social embarrassment is really the term they use. But again, getting back to our skin chapter, there's you know going to be some overlap because you can definitely get a rating if it's keeping you in the house. But you can also get a psychological rating for, you know, distress, anxiety, depression. Um, and then the real question has to go, well, which best describes the individual's condition? Because obviously they can't get ratings uh, for the same condition twice. That's the other thing that, that, you know, needs to be avoided. No double jeopardy on injuries. That's right. Mm. <laughs> and uh, what are the most common complaints from carriers that you get regarding skin conditions? The most common confusing thing that I see is the ADL um, requirement. So over and over, I see people, um, uh, you know, writing letters back or uh, being confused about the fact that, well, you know, there's no ADL performance from like, let's say this scar and therefore it's not rateable. Shouldn't have any rating at all. Um, The, the thing that I, I point out um, and I'm, I don't blame, you know, these people for this because the activities of daily living is a constant theme throughout the whole AMA guides. It's all about function, all about function, et cetera. Um, but but um, the, the skin chapter kind of goes out of its way. And it says, you know, skin impairment is any dermatologic abnormality, okay, or loss that persists after medical treatment and rehab. It's unlikely to change after a year, et cetera. So it goes out of its way to say that, the impairment for skin is about dermatologic abnormality or loss. Okay. And that's where people get confused because I think they, they, they read that as, and, you know, and it has to be included. And I always point them back, you know, class one is very, very clear. Um, You know, it has a criteria in there for ratings and one of the elements to class you is no limitations in performance of activities of daily living. So, you know, that's probably the most common discussion that I have when I'm, when I'm trying to educate the stakeholders on a skin rating um, is that whole thing about, 
Um, you know, it, it's a skin condition and it may or may not have activities of daily living involved. And if it does, it rates higher. Um, so, so that's probably the most common question that I get. So to take a real world example, if somebody had a skin condition that was very abnormal, but it didn't actually impact their activities of daily living, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean they have a 0% rating. Is right. that right? Because That's it's got an abnormality. So mm-hmm. it's not a zero percent. Yeah. And and at Rayfast, when we do the ratings, you know, we obviously um, want to be consistent. We want to weight things as accurately as possible when when the confusion comes in. That's really you know what I'm about is breaking this down and making it digestible. And just to not belabor the classes, but when we first started the talk, we said, look, there's a, there's a sign. You know, something I can see, there's a symptom that makes up a third of the class value. And then it says, and, and we all know that and means plus, okay, mathematically. So then we look at the next piece of contribution, ADL, no ADLs or few ADLs, okay? And then the third piece, the, the, the second and, the third piece, the third contributor is treatment. Requires no treatment, requires intermittent treatment. So you could see where someone who had a, had a maximum value of nine in class one, and if they have a scar, okay, but no symptoms from the scar, no ADL impact, and no treatment needed for the scar, that person is actually going to be a 3% because signs and symptoms are a third of the contribution of a maximum of nine, ADLs are the other third, and then the treatment is the last third. So if you take that 3% contribution from signs and symptoms, cut it in half, um, uh, you have, and, and, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, it's 2%. You cut it in half, 1.5 rounds up to 2. So a scar in general rates at 2% for that reason. Well, I think anyone that does workers' compensation, the, the interesting thing about skin is it is the third most common reported system in work comp. And I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. Um, but it is because there's so much contact with the environment, with your skin. There's a lot of people in healthcare that are washing their hands constantly, um, you know, defatting the skin, getting chronic hand dermatitis. Um, a lot of people who work in industry that are getting chemicals on their skin constantly, working with degreasers, petroleums, um, you know, and the skin is just kind of one of those front lines systems that, you know, are out there interacting with the environment directly. Um, so it sh- shouldn't surprise us that there are a lot of dermatolo- uh, dermatologic ratings and, and exposures and reports, but you know, we just don't hear about them as much as we do as the backs and the knees and shoulders. Mm. Well, I want to thank you, John, for bringing all of this to light to us today. Is there any uh, concluding words you would like to say on skin impairment calculation? Probably the only thing in closing that I have for it is it's important that if you're an evaluator, you have um, you have an open mind and you're thinking about it all the time. Um, you don't want to be missing it. Uh, you want to be giving people um, appropriate credit and you want to be running the, uh, the class schedules correctly. So as, as with any impairment exam, you always want to document. You want to be very clear on the ADL contributions. You want to be very clear on the subsequent uh, treatment. And um, that's all I have to say about the skin. Well, thank you, John, for, uh, for coming out today for the podcast. And uh, thank you, Arun, for joining us. For more about skin impairment calculation and the RateFast software, visit us at 
rate-fast.com and drop into our blog at blog.rate-fast.com. Thank you.